Well, I covered Russia some 20 years ago. Um, in the Soviet Union, then disconcertingly became 15 countries. Um, there was a, a, a major narrative, and that was that uh, was the end of communism. The, the, end of Mikhail Gorbachev's presidency and in Boris Yeltsin's presidency from 91 onwards. And much of the journalism of the time, including my own very large degree, was governed by this big narrative that is, communism is ending, everything is going to be fine. Uh, clearly that wasn't happening. Indeed, even communism was not fully ending. Uh, and so the other gen later generations of, of reporters on Russia uh, have had, a, I think, a more difficult job in some ways. There hasn't been that strong governing narrative, the end of history narrative. Uh, there's been a whole number of different narratives, and that also there has been a decrease in interest um, in the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s. To cover the Soviet Union and Russia was to command the front pages and the top of the bulletin day after day after day. Now, much less so. Comes up, goes back again, and much of it is centered around, that, uh, around Vladimir Putin, the president, and what he does or doesn't do to the West. Uh, and that again puts more of a strain on those who are trying to cover Russia now, because it's, it's more difficult, more obscure in many ways. And one of the, the, the best of the new generation of, of journalists is with us today, Ben Truda, who uh, worked for Reuters for some time in Moscow, is now freelance, and at the early this year produced a book called Fragile Empire, uh, which is a tremendous book. He unfortunately hasn't got any copies with him, being a modest man, but, uh, but I urge you to get on to Amazon or your local bookshop, better your local bookshop of course, and get a copy because it is uh, one of the best books about contemporary Russia has come out in recent years. So we're very uh, glad he's come to speak to us. He's going to speak as usual for about 20-25 minutes and then we'll have a discussion and he and I and we all are very anxious that you interact with him. I can see some Russian experts in the room. Um, I'm sure they will want to come in but the rest of you too because he's going to be speaking about how to cover a country like Russia, or rather, how to cover Russia. So please come in with your own <laughs> um, and experiences. So Ben, many thanks for coming. Well, thank you for such a kind introduction. And I don't mean there has been a decrease in interest. We can see how many people have come today. And it's really great to see that, that Russia is, is still uh, attracting so much enthusiasm. Let me begin by explaining why I, why I wanted to write uh, Fragile Empire. I wanted to write the book that I felt I needed to read that didn't already exist. When working in Moscow for Reuters, I learned very quickly that because of the deployment of resources in the contemporary media, the rest of Russia outside the Garden Ring, which is the boulevard that rings the center of the very center of Moscow, the Circle Line, to use a, a London a London metaphor, what that goes on outside that doesn't doesn't really get covered, and you get a massive overfocus in Western media reporting on on Russia on the Moscow perspective. Protest leaders that are popular in Moscow are extrapolated out to be protest leaders that are popular in Russia. The young generation in Moscow is extrapolated out to be the young generation in Russia. The, the hipsters, the online savvy English-speaking bloggers that are dominating central Moscow are just 
used as a metaphor for the, the new generation, new generation as a whole. And the problems and experiences that journalists face in their lives in Moscow are often written about and feed into their reporting as what life is, what life is like uh, in Russia. I had the luck to spend months and months and months traveling around in, in Russia's regions. And what you realize is that Russia is a very disunified place. Despite the name of Putin's party, United Russia, Russia is a fragmented and feudalized entity. Each of Russia's more than 80 federal su uh, subjects is run by a governor who gets given money from Moscow. He often does what he wants with it. You have some regions that are ruthlessly technocratic, that some regions that mount their own local Cossack militias to patrol their borders, like Krasnodar. You have some regions which are quite liberal, like Novosibirsk, where you long had an annual protest. You long had an annual protest march. You long had uh, a united Russia minority on the regional council. You have some regions that have entire areas outside the main capital city that have fallen into complete chaos, complete chaos, complete lawlessness and chaos. Some regions, like Kaluga outside Moscow, they're quite reminiscent of the Asian dream in the Far East, where successful governors are chasing, chasing investment. So what I came away realizing is that the, the metaphors we use in a lot of our journalism, Russia is terribly corrupt. Russia is a kind of, Russia is a weak state. There's only capture small fragments, small fragments of the, small fragments of the picture. As Russia in many ways is going in, going in very different, uh, very different directions. The story, the main story in the second half of my book is how the rise and fall of the, the Russian protest movement happened in 2011. And I think that the over-focus on, on Moscow, the deployment of journalists there, led to a lot of uh, weaker reporting on that. If, you, if we can just rewind to December 2011, we had the news coverage of Russia look, essentially look like this. Young generation of Russian protesters take to the streets, inspired by heroic blogger Alexei Navalny. Everyone is English-speaking and keen to uh, overthrow the Putin regime. And then not so much happened. And the mistake that journalists made was to was to not that they didn't know the rest of they didn't know the rest of the country well enough to realise that that was a, a more that was not an isolated phenomenon, but it was a kind of Moscow it was a Moscow cent, a Moscow centric the Moscow centric one. What? happened subsequently to that protest movement, it failed to take off beyond the capital, it failed to make regional inroads, there was a lack of interest and lack of enthusiasm in the opposition leaders to spend to spend time spend time in the regions. I think that we could have avoided that reporting. Journalists had used some of the techniques and tools I like to use for, for covering the regions. So I think that how, how who here is a practicing journalist? You're on or Right, well, my first guide if you want to cover Russian regions is that you need Russian friends. I know this sounds, I know this sounds obvious, but most, a lot of us don't hang out with Russians. You need, you need 
to have your own set of Russian friends that don't work in the media, just so you have people that you can test basic reactions on, just so you can have people close to you that can really take time to explain issues of, uh, issues of mentality. And then you have to become really good friends with the best Russian journalists. You have to go out with them, you have to, you have to drink with them, you have to work out who their sources are, you have to get them to tell you, to introduce you to their sources. And that networking, you need to make yourself socially as much as you can a Russian reporter. I think the same rule would apply in Egypt, I think the same rule would apply in China, the same rule would apply in India. But the second, what often happens in Moscow, and I think you see it mirrored all over the world, is Western journalists tend to segregate themselves from, from local, local reporters. It's an understandable why, because you've got a huge amount of common with other young British, American, French reporters, but you're not going to discover any new sources through hanging out, hanging out with them. So that's my advice. I'm not saying that you shouldn't hang out with other, you know, other Western, other Western people, but just try and minimise, try and minimise that. It's something else that's important to do is try and write for Russian newspapers at all possible. I do pieces for Commerçant Blast. It's important to do that just so people know who you are, so you can get access. There's people, even if you write for a very prestigious magazine or public, publication in, in Britain or in the US or, or elsewhere, they're not, people are not going to know that. So even just a short, clever column in a Russian newspaper or a Russian magazine can help unlock a lot of doors. You can send it to people, you can put it on Facebook. Uh, second tip, second tip I have is Sounds, again, it sounds obvious, but you need to be reading all Russian newspapers, including the tabloids. Most big corruption scandals or, or murder, murder stories or issues of real abuse of power, they're often surface as tabloid rumours before they make it into the mainstay of the, 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 main, the main media narrative. So I found that issues of killings of police in the Russian Far East, you'll find them in the back of the tabloid newspaper before you'll find them in Commerçant or Invedimacy, which are the main broadsheets. A story that I covered in my book, which is the, the, in a town in the Urals where the police was involved in a gang that was systematically systematically capturing and trafficking young girls, several hundred of them. Again, you picked up rumours of that in the tabloids before those appeared in the mainstream, the mainstream media. The next story is regional newspapers. And it maybe it sounds boring, they're not they're fantastic. Regional newspapers are the most interesting things you can read in Russia. Because Russia as the media in Russia has become more oppressive, a lot of that only happens on the media that kind of thing matters. You have a huge boom in regional media. You have Ural's newspaper, you have Ural's online portals, you have not a online, por online portals, you have new websites, radio, websites, radio stations, publications, in all of Russia's ma major regions. The journalists are quite good. And if, you, if it's in a region where the governor is uninterested in the media, the reporting will be will be often sometimes more critical of the regime and more in-depth than you would get in the mainstream publications of the Kremlin. The Kremlin is, Kremlin is frightened of. If you spend a lot of time reading regional newspapers, you can pick up all kinds of stories that 
will be will be missed uh, in the mainstream mainstream Russian newspapers. A lot of it is because Russian journalists in, in Moscow working for the equivalent of the New York Times or the equivalent of the Guardian, they'll be snobs. They won't be interested in these original stories. <laughs> so as all things which are obvious to them are obvious to us. One story I found in the regional newspaper that I'm very interested in, because I think it says a lot about, about Russia, is how lots of old Gulag camps in uh, huge regions like Kuchia and Siberia are still inhabited which they make villages out of them. It's very obvious, very obvious to, to Russian journalists. There's not a story that they would think is interesting. But I just read a newspaper story in a regional newspaper about how one of these towns had had electricity and it's taken a week for someone to come and fix the boiler. Again, that's you can find all these stories in regional news, in regional newspapers. The next thing, I think this is quite Russia specific, though maybe it also applies to the Arab world. There's a forum in Russia online about anything. And I mean anything. Russians are addicted to social media. Russia, on, uh, Russia in terms of on international scores is maybe the tenth most pop country with the most active social media presence. You see it, you know, British Facebook pages are quite boring these days. Russian Facebook pages are incredibly busy. People are wearing plant pots, people are posting articles five times a day. And there's an addiction to sh talking about things on forums. For example, there's a forum, something I'm quite interested in at the moment is that there is a forum for Wives of prisoners. One story that people talk about a lot in Russia is the prison camp system, the prison colonies ignored and neglected since the time of Gorbachev. I have to say it that way, exactly as they were in the late, in the late Soviet period. How do you know? But how do you learn about them? How do you know where to go and what to cover? How can you find people? Type in onto the Russian social into the Russian social network. I'll check it. My husband is in prison. The amount of forums that come up is astounding. Forums, you have all these prisoners' wives saying, my husband is in this camp, how do I get there? People giving phone numbers, advice. People say, oh yeah, yeah, that prison camp's run by the police, this one's run by the mafia. Go bring bottled water to go there, oh I know a way you can sneak in produce. Incredibly revealing. And also you can find them to talk to. You can leave a comment, everybody secretly wants to tell their story. <laughs> um, these women, are, these women are willing to talk, or they're equivalents. So one way you can use these forums to really better reporting is, and in three weeks ago in Moscow, you had a major race, you had a major race riot. Maybe a race riot is going to misdemeanor because a race riot is when an ethnic minority riots against the police. This was rather a racist riot. The ethnic majority rioted against, uh, uh, against immigrants. In some ways, a hard story to report. Who are these people? Who are these people? How do I find out about them? Do I go there? Do I route around? They'll be busy. They might even be drunk. Type in Biranova, which is the region of Moscow where where it happens, uh, on into the Kontakte, the of the Russian Facebook, and find all the forums there. Let's meet at this time. Here we go. This this is why it started. People sharing advice. People reporting crimes that have happened in the district, not to the police, but to each other. People don't want, want to report things to the police without actually making it worse, to corruption in the police. So again, those forums, you can, know, you can learn a huge amount. You can actually even sometimes learn more by spending time on the forum than going and poking around and knocking on, knocking on doors and talking to, talking to people. Uh, talking to that's, a, that's a key piece of uh, advice I have. So if you're interested, if you're interested in corruption in the Russian Air Force, 
why don't you go on the, the forum for, uh, for retired Soviet pilots who post jobs for each other, and you'll be able to work out what these guys are doing. This way, I know lots of journalists who found great stories through that forum, for example, because you have the pilot saying that they're editing arms to parts of the world they shouldn't be doing that, flying on bases that people believe to close, insinuations or accusations not to work for someone posting um, invitations for jobs because he's said he's doing heroin, so on and so forth. So that's a huge golden vein there. Russian reporters use this all the time. Western reporters haven't clocked on. Often the issue is language. People's language skills aren't up to it. So it's worth, worth getting language skills up to that point if you want to report on that. Uh, who should you... No. If you want to cover the regions, who should you, who should you call? People often go to the regions and they go, oh, where's the local political analyst? There's no local political analyst. So the person you need to call, and they're often neglected, is the local regional editor. The local regional editor of the Consumals Post, or now back to front, is dying to talk about Consumals, will drive you around, will help you. And your first port of call in any place should be that, should be that regional, should, should, be the, should be the regional editor of regional newspapers. It's totally acceptable, if you've been married to time zones, to, for, to phone these people up if you're just sitting in Moscow or if you're sitting in London and doing a story on this issue. Phone them up, talk to them. These people have time. And people are very flattered when you take an interest in Civ FM or in, uh, or in the Macadam Times. There's lots of, lots of access, uh, lots of access you can, you can glean, lots of access you can glean through that. Generally, in organising trips to regions from Moscow, 80 regions, really far away, plane tickets are astronomically expensive. How do you do this? Most, about half of Russia's regions, employ PR people in, in Moscow. They're really crap, they do their jobs properly. A lot of these guys are, if you can work out who they are, you should be able to do this through Facebook groups or through knowing other Russian journalists. If you, if you often are asked through them, through the PR agent, to get an interview with regional government, it can be happen very quickly. Western journalists just don't ask. So for my book, I interviewed several regional governments and, and several regional presidents, which is really revealing. It's often much more revealing than interviewing a government spokesman in Moscow. And they said that Western journalists have never, had any, never been be interested in interviewing the president of Bashkiria. So you can get access. The best way is to go through the PR agent in, in Moscow, not through the website of the region, which no one, I'm sure no one is maintaining. No one is maintaining. So again, that comes back to my first point, which is very, very important. It's key just to embed yourself in the local, in the local media scene. Uh, point, next point is costs. You know, cover it. it's expensive to do these places, what should you do? Something that I do is you know, often you can team up with a Russian journalist. You can team up with a Russian journalist. Mm -hmm. You cover it, you cover your story for the Western press, they cover it for the Russian press. You can cut costs by half, it gives you so much more access than you would have otherwise. Sometimes they can actually reduce it because people like speaking to foreigners a bit more, they find that exotic. Some, so teaming up with a Russian journalist is always a good always a good piece of advice. You can, Russian newspapers, even the good ones in Moscow have very limited travel budgets, but they can make up for it in other ways by 
helping you with access or helping you find helping you find helping you find that story. So that's a good that's a good piece of advice uh, I can give you. So it's like having gone through that, I just want to just to zoom out a bit again onto the macro picture of Russia's hammer home as uh, to why this why is this so important that you have to cover Russia's Russia's regions. Is my first point is that Russia is a fragmented and a feudalized entity. And let's just give you some, some stats about that. So Moscow has the human, the human Development Index of South Korea. People living in Moscow are living in a developed state. It may be dirty, it may be, be corrupt, it may be unpleasant, but you're not living the sociological experience or talking to people living the sociological experience of most people in the country. If we were going to do a map of Russia, and each region was going to be coloured in with its equivalent on the human, human development index. Moscow is ringed by Central America. You have the living standards around Moscow comparing what they are in Nicaragua or Guatemala. Huge chunks of Siberia, places where male life expectancy is in the 50s. Some places are even in the, the high in the high 40s. These are Central African living standards. The country is dotted with little specks of brick with all with major cities which have been mostly successful. Most Russian cities are reasonably successful. You have South Korea in the The one the big bulk of the Russian population, about 30% live in what are called so 20, about 20% there are hard to estimate, are living in what are called monogorods, which are single industry towns. Huge chunk of population, often viewed as Putin's major support major support base. Have towns where they only make flashlights, towns where they make tractors, towns where they only make towns where they only make uh, tanks. These are Russia's. This is what Putin views as his his key support base. It's often sold on. The Rush on Russian TV news is the real, the real Russia. One thing I think it's very useful to do in Russia or any country is when the government says that somewhere is its real support base, go and check. It's not. So there was a huge media campaign in Russia saying that Putin's true support base was in was in the Urals, a town called Nizhnytagil, the pride of the Urals, where the tank, the flotilla of tanks that was going to invade France during the Cold War were made. It just it got taken as, as gospel by Russian journalists as well as Western journalists that indeed that was the case, that these strange people, 20% of the population living in these remote poor places, were committed to Putin supporters. And journalists would often cite in their, just because they're in a hurry, I think, or they hadn't asked themselves a question, but cite in their reporting, yes, according to opinion polls, 70% of Russians support Putin, or 55% of Russians support Putin. 75. It, the, the polls are, I'll come back to the polls in a, minute, in a minute, but the polls, polling in Russia is again something you should be suspicious of. Like polling is developed for a Western democracy when you have two candidates competing, so you'll know what the other person's idea is. But in Russia, you have one candidate who dominates TV and one candidate who you've never heard of unless they're on Twitter. So it's not a market of ideas. So you're asking people, who do you think should be president? Putin or someone you've never heard of? So, so polling doesn't work, polling actually distorts the very debate. So I decided to go spend time in these monographs, in the URLs, understand the real situation, and I'm shocked by the, the degree of the gulf between propaganda and reality. Uh, not only does Nishitangil look like it had been bombed by the Germans a week ago in like it's the, all of the roads are all of the roads are pockmarked with an artillery barrage, 
you have third world living conditions or and your third world living conditions. And you actually have a very popular local opposition. People that people that support the opposition. They don't support the Moscow opposition, because they never heard of them, and they think that they're, they're snobs. But the local opposition in these monocorous murals, people support a support a local politician who recently just became mayor of the titular mayor of Petrenburg called Eli Roisman, who's a, a vigilante. Him and his boys go around capturing heroin addicts, forcing them into private camps in the countryside, chained beds in a cold, uh, on in horrific cold turkey conditions. But when you go through these villages and these uh, monogorops, people say, yes, we support the opposition. Do you support Navalny? Who? No, we support Roisman. So right across Russia, you have these different small opposition factions, which I don't think, I don't think make the news. Going through all these monogorops, you find there's a local hero in every town. One thing I think is unnerving as part of the bigger trend about Russia is that these local heroes are mostly vigilantes. People are interested. It's not very interesting if you're living in a town which where life has been getting consistently worse for 20 years, for a politician to debate the principles of democracy or Russia as a nation state with you. You've seen that before. The politicians are very attractive to people who, who fight drugs, people who are filling those public service gaps. So popular politicians are fighting heroin, they're trying to flag down local corrupt officials. So I think this is a, this is a big trend. This is I'd like to bring more to the attention of the Western media is the Russian opposition isn't just Moscow and Navalny, it's a whole other thing. Just to end before we can bring, we can all kind of debate and argue and tell what I'm wrong, is uh, we fall into a we fall into a trap in the Western media, I think several times in the past five years, which is, it happened in Russia, it happened in Egypt, it happened in Syria, it happened even briefly in Egypt, in India, there was some, when you had a wave of anti-corruption protests. Especially, you have major protests that are dominant in the capital city, which are simply reported as the state of the country. You know, Tahrir Square as Egypt. You know, Balwatna in Moscow as Russia. I think we, in both Russia and Egypt, what was happening in those squares, it, it, even though it was real and it was, in, it, it was important, it was, not, it was not put in context enough. And I think you could even argue that led to a lot of policy mistakes by Western governments in dealing with, especially with Egypt and to a lesser extent, lesser extent Russia. And definitely I think from the reader's point of view, and I think the reader often see the flaws of stories better than the journalist, both the Russian story and the Egyptian story became slightly comprehensible of watching the overfocus on the main squares and capital cities at the expense of what was going on in the rest of the country. So please ask please ask me questions so we can come and we continue the debate.